Tonight we study a chapter that is once again centered on Abraham, one of the most prominent characters in the Bible. We were introduced to Abraham in chapter 11, and now we're at the close to the end of Abraham's journey. Genesis 22 is the last chapter in which we hear of God speaking to Abraham, a man he calls his friend. Abraham will soon bury his wife, <clears throat> excuse me, take another wife, Keturah, with whom he will have six more children and die at the age of 175. Historically, Abraham is revered um, by more people of different faith and religions than any other man in the Bible. The Jews honor him as father of the faithful. The Muslims also honor him as their ancestor through their son, through his son Ishmael. You know, we, we meet and we study these characters in the Bible, and it's, it's important to understand that, that they're men and women just like us. You know, I look out here and I see uh, a lot of familiar faces, and I also see some people who aren't here anymore. Um, you know, it's tough because I think of the tragedy they brought upon their homes. I think of a man who used to sit right over on this side, and last time I he just had this dazed look in his face and I thought he's really listening to me well he, maybe he was listening to me but he was maybe pondering what he was going to do and shortly after that he made the choice to to leave his family lost everything he had lost his business lost his uh, just, just terrible ruin so I pray that we all learn that all these people in the Bible, there's a few all-stars, but all of them are just like us. And uh, that we would not take advantage of God's grace, but appreciate it. Sometimes they obey God completely, and sometimes you have people that demonstrate a strong, unwavering faith with God, and their relationship is strong with Him, and they continually prosper. And everything they did was right in line with God's will. I think about Joseph. In Genesis 39, we read, The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Joseph was a man who honored God and ran from temptation, proclaiming to Potiphar's wife, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? against God. A lot of times we get we feel bad about our sin because we got caught. He felt bad because he was sinning against God. My wife named our son Joseph, Joseph Samuel, because she wanted him to flee from sin <laughs> and uh, dedicated him to the Lord. Yeah. How about Job? The first, the first verse of the book of Job describes him with four godly characteristics that we should all strive for. I, my boss's wife one, t one time told me when we were teaching the first and second grade, you teaching these kids Job? You know, how are you going to teach kids Job? And I said, the, the first verse is, is a whole lesson for them. Do you guys remember the four characteristics of Job? He was blameless. He was upright. He was a man who feared God and he shunned evil. I remember that, you know. I remember a lot of things I taught kids. I remember a lot of the veggie tales I saw with my kids too. 
How many people went to the VeggieTale University and learned things? There you go. <laughs> so this was a man who lost everything, but he still pro- proclaimed to God in, in, in chapter 23 of Job. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps, and I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So a couple of all-stars. There were others just like him, and and they seem to be perfect as far as what's recorded in the Bible. We know they were men and women just like us, and we know they sinned. We know they were not perfect. There were people who fail miserably one day and obey him completely the next. Actually, sometimes I can do both on the same day, several times. Sometimes Abraham listened to God and obeyed and prospered, but he also failed several times. Since we were first introduced to Abraham at the end of chapter 11, We've seen him fail miserably by making poor choices to procrastinate, to be selfish and protect himself or because he was impatient. He half obeyed, he half lied and he took matters into his own hands instead of waiting and trusting in God. Guy starting to relate? Yeah, I am. Just reviewing a few of the things that we've learned about Abraham. Genesis 11, he half obeyed and failed to leave the land, procrastinating at Haran until the death of his father. God had to remind him at the beginning of chapter 12 to finish the journey. And in chapter 12 also, he failed to trust God during a severe famine and went down to Egypt, where he lied, well, he half lied about his, Sarah being his sister. You know, here he had trusted God with his future of, of himself and his family and traveled over a thousand miles, but couldn't trust him for food. Just like us, we've trusted the Lord. Those that have given us, who I assume is everybody here, their life to the Lord and trusted him with their salvation, yet we freak out when something happens urgently that we, that we need. In chapter 20, he half-lied again when he failed the test when he traveled south to, to Gerar, once again saying that Sarah was his sister. This time his excuse was that I didn't believe that the people here feared God. Well, the truth was, if he had feared God at this point, if he had obeyed and trusted him, he would have truly feared the Lord. And finally, he failed the test of waiting for God to give him a son through Sarah when he listened to his wife and followed through with her plan and had Ishmael through Hagar in Genesis 16. Here they both resorted to taking matters into their own hands and they failed to wait for God. As Pastor Rick says, you don't want to have Ishmaels in your life. But he also passed and he matured in his faith. In his faith. This is the Abraham we're going to study tonight. He passed the test at his second call out of Haran, at age 75, when God called him to leave his country, his family, and his father's house. And then in chapter 13, he passed the test when he separated for Lot, from Lot, and he was not greedy. He passed the test of faithful love and contentment with God's provision when he t- returned from rescuing Lot in Genesis chapter 14. 
And he also passed the test of compassion when he interceded for the righteous few of Sodom in Genesis chapter 18. Now let's turn to chapter 21, verses 11 through 14. This is his final, final test that he passed. He passed the test of sending Ishmael away from Isaac, the son of promise. In verse 11, we read that it was very displeasing in Abraham's sight. A better translation, it was very distressing. Um, I, men- I, don't, I mentioned earlier that Pastor Sex, you don't want to have Ishmaels in your life. I had an Ishmael. I have an Ishmael in my life. Um, I don't say that because I, 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 I don't see my older son as Ishmael's character, but uh, he was conceived uh, in sin. He was conceived before I was married. Got married, uh, got divorced when he was five. And uh, it was very difficult. It was very difficult to deal with those issues. It's not supposed to be like that. It's tough raising kids when you're both together in the same home. Raising kids when you have two different lifestyles and um, two different religions, if you want to call Christianity religion, which is which it isn't. But uh, it was difficult. It was tough. You know, it talks about uh, Hagar mocking Sarah. Well, there was mocking going on and going on. I can't imagine if these two women would have lived in the same tent or the same camp. I guess I was very fortunate there. Anyway, in verse, in verse uh, 11, we hear God, God told him to listen to the voice of Sarah. This time he tells him to listen to his wife. Last time he listened to his wife, he got in trouble. Okay. I'm learning when to listen and when not to listen. <laughs> I learn it every day. I find myself getting in trouble when I listen to the times when, when my wife is emotional, because I get emotional too. And there's times when I get emotional and do the same. But this time he tells him to listen to the voice of Sarah. And then he reconfirms his promise of descendants through Isaac, that he would make a nation from Ishmael because he was Abraham's seed, his descendant. And in verse 14, Abraham demonstrated his faith in the promise of God and sent away his son. I had to do that too. I had to do that in the 11th grade. My son was uh, not living right. And uh, his, his mom was in the world. And I had to release him into the world. Just as Abraham released Ishmael into the wilderness. Not as dramatic, but you know, that's, that's, where, that's where he wanted to go. And unfortunately, it was a long journey for him before he came back to the Lord. You know, Abraham didn't know that God would rescue Is- Ishmael from the wilderness of Beersheba. He didn't have chapter 25 like we do where we read that God blessed him with a na- blessed him with 12 sons and lived to be 137 years old. So this is Abraham we studied tonight. A man who's been tested several times. He was about um, 115, 120 depending on how you figure it out. And it had been 40 years, 40 years since God first spoke to him and called him to depart from Haran in chapter 12. He had recently passed what I personally feel was his most difficult 
test up to this point, sending his son Ishmael away. Now comes the time for his most difficult test of all. He's asked to sacrifice his only son. So this is it. The test of the last 40 years have prepared him for this final exam. So you, so he passed five and he failed four. If you round up the grade, it's a 56. I don't know. Maybe in today's grading system, that's not a D or an F, but that's what he, that's what he has. But God is gracious just like he is to us when he chooses to forgive our sins and forget them. Sam was just talking about God uh, moving our sins from the east to the west and choosing to bury them in the ocean. So Abraham's going to get a chance to pass this class of faith based on how he does on this final exam. God would find out if Abraham really feared him and believed in him and had faith in his promise to bless him. God was going to speak to Abraham once again, but this time was not going to be another variation of his blessing, of his covenant, to make him a father of nations. What God was about to ask Abraham to do would shock him, and in light of what God had, in light of what God had previously promised him. Why would God bless him in his old age with Isaac, only to take him away like this? How could God take away the son through whom he had promised to bless the entire world? So this is a three-part final exam. In verses 1 and 4, we have the test of Abraham's obedience. In verses 5 through 8, we have the test of Abraham's faith. And in the verses 9 through 19, we have the test of Abraham's fear. So let's read chapter 22 together here. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of, Ab- the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, 
Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Huz his firstborn, Buzz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jid, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Ruma, also bore Teba, Gehem, Phahash, and Makkah. So after these things, so it says, came to pass after these things, the things that had just happened in chapter 21. God had just, God tested Abraham. He did not tempt us. Uh, we need to be clear that God does not tempt us. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. We're tempted by our flesh, by the world, and by Satan. Why are we tested? The word here for tested is, is N-A-C-H-A, it's pronounced nasa, and it means to prove or to try. God's intention here is to affirm Abraham's character, not destroy it. And as parents, think of the times when we've tested our kids. We don't tempt them, we test them so they, they grow up, that they build character, that they learn from it. This is, this is why God was testing Abraham. He wanted to mature him. He wanted to make him stronger. He wanted to bring him through the fire. So God had spoken to Abraham several times. I don't know how many times he's spoken to him since chapter 12 or so. But he calls Abraham by name. And the Bible also says that he calls him his friend. You know, when someone calls you by name, it makes you feel special. makes you feel important. Uh, I have a customer I went to visit recently, and his name was Lazar. It's an easy name to remember. And I met him a couple of times, and I walk into his place, and he says, Hi, John. Like I, I felt, I felt really uh, special because he had remembered my name. I've only seen him a couple of times for a short period. So, how many people remember the name of the person that you introduced yourself <laughs> to earlier? We forget it, right? So, so it also says here that Abraham heard God. His ear was sensitive to God. He was in communion with God, and he answered immediately. 
He didn't hesitate. He was a servant. His response indicated an attitude of a servant of humility. Here I am. He was ready to hear what God said. You know, like, what do you need? Here I am. So God told him in verse 2, take now your son. He told him to take his son, and he told him to take him now. He was to do it immediately. Here he describes Isaac as your only son. Again, Isaac was his only son. Ishmael was the son of the flesh. Isaac's referred to as your only son here, and in verse 12 and verse 16. And this is the only time the phrase, this is the first time the phrase, my, my only son, appears in the Old Testament, describing the special love between Abraham and Isaac. The first time it appears in the New Testament is in John 3.16. So he told him to go to the land of Moriah, which was a, a familiar place. It was the place where Solomon built the temple, and uh, we know it to be the place up at the top where Christ was crucified at Calvary. And he gave him this amazing and shocking order. He told him to offer him there as a burnt offering. He didn't give him all the information. He says, on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So he said, go to Moriah and sacrifice on one of the mountains. He didn't give him all the instructions. Sometimes God doesn't give us the whole answer. Sometimes he gives us instructions a piece at a time. He wants us to wait on him. Sometimes he gives us just what we need to know. I think if God told us what was coming up in our future, we'd probably freak out, some of us. We don't know what's going on. Think about the next week or the next month, next year. So in the next verse, we read that Abraham rose early in the morning and did as God commanded. There's nothing between when he commands him to take his son and when he gets up in the morning. But So the details of the long night aren't recorded here. We can only imagine what it was like. Yep. The thoughts going through Abraham's mind, the questions, why? How could this be happening? Is there some other way? How could God be doing this to me? You ever had one of those nights? I have several times. Many times it was due to my own sin or, or stress that I brought upon myself because I procrastinated or I wasn't making the right decision or making a decision on something. And most of the time it was over worrying, worrying about something that never happened the following day. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. I can remember a time, um, probably a couple of years ago. Best thing I can, best way I can describe it is a time of a severe anxiety, maybe depression, just for a few days. And I remember a good friend of mine going through a long period like that, and I used to think, man, just snap out of it, you know? Snap out of it. You know, man up, right? I, I found a new, I have a newfound empathy for him, and I told him so. Um, I don't know what it was, what it was, but it just, it just messed me up. And uh, I think I know what it was. Um, I had problems sleeping, and I started taking Ambien. I... I've had sleep tests and stuff. I don't have sleep apnea, but I've got other things that sometimes interrupt my sleep. I was just so tired, so I started taking Ambien. I probably took it for a few weeks, and I realized that 
yeah, this isn't good. Because it helped me sleep, but it made me groggy. Plus, I didn't like taking, taking drugs. You're not supposed to take it for a long time. So I cut it off completely. And I found out later, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to just wean yourself off of it. So I, I believe I truly had some type of imbalance in my system. So, and it was tough. I can remember a few times where I didn't sleep the whole night and, you know, I just, I bailed out and I said, oh, you know, I called in sick and, or I went in late. But I remember uh, my wife telling me, don't let, don't let it, don't let yourself go over the edge. She was saying, don't let yourself get to that point, you know, uh, capture your, uh, take, take hold of your thoughts and, and don't let yourself get to that end. So it was one night and I remember it was horrible. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep, and finally it was 4:30 or something. I got up and I forced myself to get to get up. And that day was uh, it was the end of that period of anxiety. And I say I forced myself, but I know God got me up. And I know if I hadn't gotten up that day or a day like that and faced what I had to face, I'd still be going through that stuff, or maybe for a longer period of time. So that's my only way of relating. There's been some long nights in my life, but for for other issues, not as not as tragic as this. So it says he got up early in verse in verse three. So it says he got up early in the morning. He didn't sleep in. He didn't procrastinate. Notice here he didn't attempt to bargain with God like he did when uh, uh, God was going to pass judgment on Sodom. Remember, you know about forty, how about thirty, how about twenty, right? He didn't say. How about Ishmael? Let's go find Ishmael. He didn't. He didn't. Uh, he just. He just did it. So he loaded up the car. Well, here he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and and Isaac. Then it says he split the wood. You know, and when you're doing a study, sometimes you look at the stuff, and some of the, some of the things. They mean something, and sometimes they don't. And sometimes you might see something that I didn't. And I, I'm looking at, I'm reading here about him splitting the wood. He's got two young men plus Isaac. He's got three young men, and he's splitting the wood himself. Why is he doing that? Well, I'm thinking maybe he's doing it because he wants to. He wants this whole journey is is an example of his faith for them. That's the only thing I can think of. So it says he got up and he went to the place of which God had told him. So he got up and he got right up. He went, no detours. He just followed God's directions. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes. This journey was about 45 miles, maybe 50 miles. Abraham was over 100. I don't know about you guys, but it would be tough for him to walk this journey. And it says that he journeyed for three days, and and then you hear, then you see these words lifted his eyes. So, I don't know about you, but if I was going on a journey where at the end of that journey my son was going to be sacrificed, I would, I wouldn't be looking up. And that's what I see. I see him just making one foot go in front of another, just being obedient and going on this journey. You know, he wasn't in a hurry to get there. He probably was hoping he'd never see the final destination when we lifted it up his eyes. He saw the place of death for his son. 
So now we have the test of Abraham's faith in verse 5 here. So Abraham told the young man, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. This was the final part of the journey and it was only for Abraham and Isaac. So he told the lads, he told them that the lad and I will go yonder. And he said that we were going to go worship. He stated the purpose of the journey was to worship God. You know, we just did what we call worship, singing the Lord, but we can worship God with our tithes. We can worship God with our time. Here he's worshiping God with his obedience. And he told him, we'll come back to you. He said, we, referring to himself and Isaac. Abraham knew they both would return. How did he know this? If you read Hebrews chapter 11, that's where we get the commentary on this. This is the foundation of how Abraham could have, could have completed this journey. It says, By faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your, she, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham had concluded that God was able to raise him even from the dead. So in verse 6, it says he took the wood and he laid it on Isaac. He laid it on his son. He carried the wood just as Jesus would carry the cross on his way to death. I look at this wood on his, on his shoulder as being the burden. He took the burden like Jesus did on his shoulder. Then it says he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. They made their final journey to worship God together. And then something happened here. We haven't heard from Isaac yet, have we? Verse 7, it says, But Isaac spoke to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, look, the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac realized something, something was missing. This is the first time we hear Isaac speak. You know, we don't hear him questioning, we don't hear anything recorded about him questioning anything up to this point. I think this is a good indication of his submission to his father's authority. At this point, we can't conclude that, but we will see his complete submission to his father in verse 9 when he lays him on the altar. So he said, my father, exclamation point. It wasn't like, hey, dad, can I ask you a question? Or, you know, maybe I'm meaning to ask you something. To me, it seems like he just realized that something was very important, missing. Like he said, like he said, dad, daddy. And Abraham said, here I am, my son. He didn't say what or what do you want? His answer was a tender one. He says, here I am, son. I'm right here, my son. Like daddy's here. He calls him my son. I think Abraham was expecting for Isaac to realize that something was missing. You know, we know our kids. He could see, Abra he could see Isaac's wheels turning and thought at some point he was going to figure it out. 
but his response indicates a father's gentleness. It's a comforting response. So Isaac says, you know, look, the fire, the wood, but where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? Aren't we missing something? At this point, Isaac didn't know that he was the intended lamb. You know, where is it? So Abraham answered Isaac, and he just give him, just didn't flip him off with a simple answer. Again, he says, my son. He prefaces, he prefaces his answer with these words of comfort. And he told him, God will provide. In verse 14, we see Abraham call the place of, of the burnt offering where God provided himself as a lamb, the Lord will provide. In Hebrew, in Hebrew Yahweh Yireh literally means Yahweh sees. He didn't say, don't worry, son, I got it. Or Daddy will work it out, don't worry. He pointed him to God as the provider. Our kids need to know that God is the provider of everything we have or need. You know, as fathers, we have the primary, primary responsibility for providing for our family. Our kids go to see us go to work every day. They sometimes hear of our work, work issues. They hear us discuss, you know, financial issues, uh, plans that we want. But do they see us as looking to God as our provider? Do they see us, see and hear us give thanks to God for all? So I'm asking these questions. It's coming right back at me. When when you do do a, when I do a study, God just slams me. Do we, do they hear us reach out to God in times of difficulty? Do they hear us celebrate when God meets our needs? Do they see a trusting and faithful attitude when God says no or tells us to wait? So God told him that He would provide for Himself the lamb. Literally in the Hebrew, it says God would provide. Himself, the Lamb. Abraham was holding on to the promise that it was in the name of Isaac that his descendants would be named in Genesis 21 12. And just as we read before, he believed that God was able to raise him up if need be. So, so the two then went together. The last part of the journey, Abraham demonstrating his faith in God through obedience, and Isaac following his father and trusting him. He most likely still didn't understand how God was going to provide, but he continued with his father, trusting him and trusting God. So they came to the place which God had told him. This is the last section, Abraham's, the test of Abraham's fear. So they arrived at this place, a place where Abraham probably hoped he'd never reach. However, it was the place of which God had told him. Somehow, from the original instruction, God must have told him specifically where to go. It's not recorded here, but obviously he made it there. So he was being obedient. He was exactly where God wanted him to be. When we're obedient, we're exactly where God wants us to be. may not be where we want to be, but that's where God wanted him to be. And he was demonstrating his faith again through his obedience so now he has to prepare the offering he built the he built the altar he put the wood in order and then it says he bound Isaac so at some point during this last part of the journey Abram had to tell him that he was the lamb for the offering now Isaac was probably somewhere 
between 16 and 20, maybe a little bit older. And Abraham's 115 or so. And we don't read of Isaac resisting. We don't read of, of him questioning. So this was a supreme act of faith on Abraham's part and a, and a clear act of submission on Isaac's part. So he took his son. Remember, it was his only son. The son from whom his descendants would be named. And it says he laid him on the altar upon the wood. Isaac did not resist and Isaac did not speak. Silent, like Jesus is described in Isaiah 53, 5 through 7. I'll read it to you here. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Abraham, uh, I'm sorry, Isaac, uh, an example of Christ here. So now it says, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. This is, this, is the, this is the supreme act of obedience. Abraham had obeyed everything God had directed him to do without hesitation. He'd gotten up early. He'd packed up. He'd left. He'd made it to the place. But now he had to demonstrate his faith against tremendous emotions, against his natural feelings for his son. He had to demonstrate his fear and his reverence for God above the love for his son. And he had to do it with a knife. It was a very intimate way of having to kill somebody. And I'm, you know, you, you think about movies when you've seen people have their kids or threaten to have their kids shot in front of them or they've had to do something. I mean, using a gun or a bow or poisoning somebody or having somebody else do it, that's, that's different. God had, God had commanded Abraham to do it and with a knife. And I had a book that I read preparing for this and this picture of Isaac lying on the altar and, and Abraham like this. Well, that was the front of the book. That's, that's not how sacrifices were done. The word, the word slay here means to slaughter, and that means to. So I sometimes get a little choked up when I read this part. It says Abraham was the, uh, Abraham had to slay his son. So think about it. He was either on top of him, pulling his head back, on top of him like this, or right in front of him, looking into his eyes. Can you guys picture that? You know, I wonder how long it took. I wonder if he, he hesitated. I wonder if there were any words spoken. But I think there had to be. Something had to be communicated. Basically, I, 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 this whole journey, Abraham had been telling Isaac, trust, trust in God. Trust in me. How many times have we told our kids, I promise you, I promise you. 
so at some point, split second of time, Abraham had made that decision to release his army, slay his son. Because in the next verse, you hear an angel, the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Called his name twice. Once again, Abraham was sensitive to hear God. I think we'd all be very sensitive to hear God at this point. And then once again, he said, here I am. And the angel told him, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything with him. Why? Because he says, for now I know that you fear God. Abraham had passed, Abraham had passed the test. His, his obedience was a supreme demonstration of his faith, and God was affirming his character. God was giving him the ultimate compliment. I know that you fear me above, above all else. I'm not there yet. I don't know about you guys. I, I do at times, but I can't stand here and say I fear God above anything else. I can't. It's a journey. I guess I have a lot more tests to take. He says, since you have not withheld your son, Abraham's obedience exhibited that he did not put his love for his son, Isaac, before his love for God. You know, Abraham had learned a few things in all these tests and journeys he'd been through. Once again, in verse, as, it, as in verse 2, it emphasized his only son. Then it says, Abraham lifted his eyes again. Remember that phrase, lifted his eyes, the last time we heard it? What did he see the last time he lifted his eyes? Place of death. Place he never wanted to see, a destination he never wanted to reach. And this time when he lifted up his eyes, he was relieved. He saw a ram in the thicket by his horns, and so he took it, went and took the ram. The offering was there, but he had to, he had to take it. He, uh, he was relieved, and it was easy for him to do so. It was probably a very emotional time knowing that he had come so close to doing what God had asked him to do. And you might say, of course he would have taken the ram in place of his son. That's a no-brainer. Anybody would. I agree. But ask yourself, do we take the provisions of God when they're offered to us? Do we see them? Do we take the place of escape when it's offered? Do we see those things? Are we looking for it? Are we listening for it? Are we abiding in Christ as we should be? Are we in communion with him or is our sin separated from, separated us from him? Are you in sin tonight? I'm not asking if you sin today. We all have. But are you living a life of sin, of continual sin? Are you doing something that has separated you from God? Something that has tuned you out to even hearing God's voice? So this was a very momentous place, a very momentous occasion. And in verse 14, it says, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Literally, it means Yahweh sees. God had seen the need and supplied the provision. 
it was a it was a monument to a life changing event for Abraham and Isaac, and an historical event for gen- historical event for generations to come. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The mount is Moriah around the temple area, mount to the top, and God would later provide another substitute in the future on this same mount, his only son, Jesus Christ. Only this time he would not be spared as Isaac was. He would die for us. He would be the Lamb of God. God would provide for us his only son. So now we have the blessing. The the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time. And he says, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord. He says, by myself I have sworn. He's God, he doesn't have to swear to God. By myself I am sworn. He's the ultimate authority. He says, because you have done this thing, because Abraham had demonstrated his faith, had been obedient to God's direction, has put his reference for God above everything else, and had offered his son, his only son, to God. Because of this, now God was about to bestow his blessings upon Abraham and fulfill his covenant with Abraham. Um, I wanted to make it clear that God didn't fulfill the covenant because Abraham was obedient. God's covenant with Abraham was unconditional. He was going to do it. He was giving Abraham a part. He was allowing Abraham to exhibit his faith, just like he allows us to. So he says, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you, your descendants. I got this from listening to Xavier's message on this chapter. It says, this is the only place in Genesis that the infinitive absolute really is used to reinforce the verb. The verb is blessing and multiply. So he's saying, blessing, I will really bless you, and multiplying, I will really multiply you. As the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. God had previously used the term stars of heaven to describe Abraham's descendants, but this is the first time he used the phrase sand of the seashore. Maybe it was a better way for Abraham to understand it. You know, we go out and see the stars, or at least when we're out camping or something, when we can see stars, and we see hundreds of thousands, right? Now we know through our technology that there's billions. But Abraham, Abraham could hold sand in his hand, so it was another way. And then he adds to it, and he says, your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. The term gate represented the place of authority, the place where officials and kings of a city conducted business. Remember back in chapter 19 when the angels of the Lord visited Lot? He was sitting at the gate. Here God was promising victory, victory over their enemies, the authority to rule over their enemies. He would give them the power to conquer those who hated them and attempted to harm them. God was going to bless them and give them victory over all of their enemies. Verse 18, he continues and says, In your seed, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In Galatians 3.16, we read, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. In chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abram at the time, 
not Abraham, get out of your country from your, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of earth will be blessed. Abraham's act of obedience didn't just affect him and Isaac. It affected the entire, entire world for to come, Jew and Gentile. In the end of verse 8, it says, because you have obeyed my voice. Here he put it, pretty much repeats what he said in verse 16. Because you have done this thing I will not have, and have not withheld your son, your only son. So again here, Abraham's obedience demonstrated that he loved God more than Isaac. And so now they return journey in chapter, in verse 19. It says, Abraham returned to his young men. Remember in verse 5 when Abraham had told the young men to stay here, the lad and I will go yonder and we will come back to you. Even though he knew he was going to be sacrificing his son, he told them they were going to worship God. Well, they worship God by their obedience to God. And he told them that, and he returned as he promised that, he, that they, blah, blah. try this again. He returned as he had promised them they would. Abraham's return, as he had promised, was due to his faith in God's promise. All the things that Abraham has done in this chapter, it's not based on, you know, willpower, not based on uh, visualization, not based on positive thinking. His faith is based on God's promise. That's what's important here, God's promise. God does not promise something that he will not do. God does not lie. He doesn't have the capacity to lie. His faith was due to God's promise. So they rose and went together to, to Beersheba. You know, I, th I think, in, think of times when you look forward to a trip and finally the day comes and, you know, the flight or the drive was exciting because you were looking forward to reaching your destination. You know, the five hours on the plane or whatever hours in the car, they just go by because you're looking forward to the destination. But the return trip, even though it's the same amount of distance, you know, you're tired, it's Monday morning, you're not looking forward to it, it just drags on, right? Well, in this case, it was just the opposite. The departing trip was a long, long three days. It was three days of sadness and mourning. The expectation at the end of the trip was the death of his son. So the departing trip was the ultimate test of Abraham's faith, but the return was a joyful trip, a time of celebration, a time to rejoice of how God had spared Isaac, looking forward to sharing everything with Sarah. Abraham was relieved to know that his son was alive, looking forward to sharing many years of life with him, looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise to be a father of many. Abraham's love for God had been demonstrated by his obedience to God above all else. And he passed the final exam. So they returned to Beersheba, and Abraham the pilgrim, the sojourner, settled there. And finishing up here, we read that Milcah, his sister-in-law, had born children. And we go through all the names here that I read. But it says, Bethuel, in verse I guess, 24, and three, it says, Bethuel, 
his nephew had born Rebecca, Isaac's future bride. God's plan to fulfill his nation had already begun. So I'm closing just three, three short things, and I want to read something to you. Expect tests from God. It's through the tests of life that we go closer to God and mature in our faith as Abraham did. So expect the tests. And when the tests come, focus on the promises of God. Don't focus on the logic and on the reasons, on the emotion. Focus on the promises of God. And finally, trust in the provisions of God. When things are tough and it seems like there's no hope, you know, God sometimes will ask us to do, I'm trying to remember this quote, do the unbearable, take us to the place where we're asked to do instead of the impossible, to test our faith. But just remember Genesis 18, 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I want to read something to you. I read it this morning, and I just wanted to share it to you. Every time I get a chance to teach, if I haven't, if I don't give the gospel out, I don't, I don't think I've done what the God wants me to do. I read uh, Chuck Smith's daily devotion. Anybody else read that? Yeah. So you probably memorized this then, Robert, right? <laughs> the cry for a mediator. In Job 9, 32, 33. For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. If you would just get right with God, Job's friends advised, everything else will be okay. But Job didn't know how to do that. He saw the greatness of God compared with his own smallness and realized the gap between the infinite God and the finite creatures too great for man to ever bridge himself. Recognizing this dilemma, Job cried out for a mediator. In the New Testament, we read there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. Because Jesus and the Father are one in John 10.30, he is able to touch God, and because Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us in John 1.14, he also can touch us. He understands our weakness, our fears, our temptations, and thus Jesus is able to bring us to God. Roby Duke, before I finish, Roby Duke had a song one time uh, called Bridge Divine. I don't know if you remember that. Okay, And he has a, he has a line in there that proves Led Zeppelin wrong. It says, there is no stairway to heaven, only a bridge divine. No stairway to reach God. You know, it's like you're walking. Adam's sin had caused this chasm. It's like we're walking two parallel planes, and there's this big chasm between us and God. And we can't touch God. Jesus is that mediator. The bridge that brought man to God was not created by man Unlike other religions in Christianity, man is not trying to reach God. God reaches down to man. If you want to find eternal, true, and living God, and if you want to find the eternal, true, and living God, you can touch him by allowing him to touch you through his son, Jesus. Jesus is the bridge between God and man. And if there's anybody here who 
who hasn't done that or who has slipped away and wants to pray afterwards, please come up and pray with me. Come up and pray with somebody else. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. I pray that uh, the men here, Lord, heard your word and were touched by it, Lord, and and were convicted by it, Lord. I pray that uh, you would help me to work on the things that you convicted me on as I prepared for the study, Lord. I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for our leadership here. I thank you for the word that we get weekly, Lord. And Father, I thank you for these men. I would ask that you bless them. I ask that you bless them for making the choice to come here, Lord, and put you before whatever else was going on tonight, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.